0: This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode
1: 139, Squawking and Talking, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast.
0: Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri.
1: Welcome, aviation friends. My name is Carl Valerian. I'm joined by uh, my co-hosts, Rick Felty, Tom Frick, and Larry Overstreet. Welcome, guys. Good evening, everybody. Hey. It's great hey, to Carl. have everybody here. I uh, One of the things that's been been wonderful is all the emails we've been getting from our listeners. So you know what we're going to do tonight? We're actually going to answer some of those emails. I know that everybody here is excited to uh, to listen to those and... To get some feedback on uh, on some of the things we've talked about in past episodes, and uh, some of the things we've talked about on some of our other articles,
0: let's do the pre-flight.
1: We have a couple announcements before we get going. First of all, I don't think I mentioned this on on the podcast before, but I, and I forgot. I'm sorry, but the Aerospace Scholarships Book 2017 is actually available. On Amazon, it's also uh, available in the iBook store. So if you're looking to get a scholarship or any money to move forward either in your career or in your training, you don't have to do it as a career. Say you wanted to get some aerobatic training. there's scholarships in there for you. Uh, There's money out there, type ratings, that type of thing. So check it out. Um, You can go to the Amazon store and look at the actually directory. And see, or the index, I should say, and see if there's something that uh, might apply to you. Maybe you want to get a further rating, an instrument rating, etc. It, it's amazing how many people are out there that want to give money, you know, to, to help out with uh, moving forward, not just in careers but also in the hobby of of aviation. So I think that's really really cool. Um, also, the uh, other announcement that we have here is, uh, and this is with embracing technology. Uh, is that AOPA is now welcoming drone pilots uh, and have a new membership created. And that was actually on the 21st of February they started that, I think. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was the date. But anyway, it is awesome that they're doing this because the more people we can get into aviation, the better. I think it's it's really, really exciting. You know, in every corner of our life, we really embrace technology and and. It really it's so disruptive sometimes and but it's a good disruptive, kind of like electric cars and you know hybrid cars and things like that we we all are are trying to to meld these new technologies into our lives and just to make it a, a better place too the whole aviation world and the world in general i know rick you you actually i think had or have an electric car yeah, right now
2: i do and uh and yeah, I agree i mean there's a lot just keep keep an open mind to things is a good is a good way to go through life, i think. I, oh, because <laughs> there's a lot of great new stuff coming along, and you know, if it if it's gonna stick, it's gonna stick, and if it isn't, it it won't. But you know, keep keeping an open mind uh, gives you some, I don't know, new options on things. I, I love driving my electric car. It's That's a blast. Cool.
1: Yeah. Wait till maybe a few years, you'll be
2: flying your electric. Airplane, maybe? Exactly. Yeah, well, you know, it's a different challenge. But I know, I, I believe people are working on that.
1: Oh, they so, are, dude. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to, I, I would love to see that and love to go out and fly those. Yeah. Battery technology is not there yet for long, long right. flights. It's kind of like in your car, right? You right. have to plan but a little I think more.
2: You know, I've, I've heard, sto- years ago, I heard stories about the, that early the earliest things would be, um, you know, flight training stuff. Kind of entry level flight right. training planes, which could be charged easily, and they don't go very you don't go very far, usually,
1: right. Right.
2: you yeah. know at least in the early okay. stages. So and you know they might take a they they take the wear and tear better than a something that's uh, pushing fuel and and uh, oil and other things around, you know, yeah. heating up.
1: Yep, great stuff, great stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, along with embracing technology, I think I was mentioning before, but I, I was embracing technology today. I, I got up really early this morning and flew from uh, San Juan to New York, and the, there was a lot of fog out there. And in the air, the plane I fly, the Airbus, the 320, we have an Autoland system. And I tell you what, it really it is a paradigm shift. I This is the first time I've done an Autoland in like four years, three years, I think it is and uh and it works and that (laughs) technology has been out there for years but but in reality sometimes we still have a it's a paradigm shift, and it's, it's hard sometimes for us to embrace that that change. But it's really important to do that, I think. Uh, Carl, I, I have
3: one of those too. I just close my eyes and say your airplane, <laughs> and and if there's if there's another pilot on board, it works.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Now you're scaring me, Larry. Next time we go flying, don't just... do that, please. <laughs> uh, but anyway, mo- the. The whole thing with technology is awesome. I think there's so many new things coming out. And getting back to the article with AOPA, we'll have a link to that, by the way. And I'd love to have someone come on from AOPA. We're trying to get an interview with the folks there as far as the drone pilots. If you're a a private pilot, if you're a pilot in general, it's uh, it's a great thing to do. Uh, You bring a lot to the drone pilot world if you already have a pilot certificate. So uh, I really, you know, I'd encourage you to get it. And uh, check out their new membership options. We'll have a link in the show notes. And let's see, another announcement, uh, let's talk about new things, is a new book. And it's by uh, one of our favorite authors, and his name is Rick Felty. Rick, why don't you tell <laughs> us about it?
2: <laughs> yeah, so this is just a cheap, uh, uh, shameless plug. Um, uh, it's not an aviation related book, although I'm trying to figure out a way to work that into one of these one of these days. Another kid's book, another in the Tabitha Fink series, which um, we have Victoria's books with Turbo, The Dog, and mine are books with a cat. And uh, this one is called Tabitha Fink Ninja at Night. And it's, uh, a, again, for kids, little kids, early readers. If you have. Um, kids or grandkids um it's a good good little present uh, ninja at night it's 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 about being afraid of the dark and uh it's pretty fun so that just came out it's on amazon
1: it's very I, cool that yeah. is awesome yeah i definitely need that i am actually afraid of the dark <laughs>
2: really. so yeah i i'm i'm uh, it's fun it's a fun little i now have a bit of a thing going which is great because it can be almost about anything and that's just fun to work on so you know probably about once a year there'll be a new one and it just this one just came out so yeah it's pretty fun
1: Awesome! Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate. It. Now, thanks I just, for letting.
2: Me, thanks for letting me mention.
1: it. Yeah. Well, well, that it comes with a
2: price. You're going to have to put aviation in somewhere in one of your. Yeah. Next- well, <laughs> I think there there's certainly ways to do it because in in all the cases of the books, uh, they are about bigger challenges that kids face and you know, are big issues they have to figure out and. And yet, and yet it's a story about something else. So aviation certainly is, a, is an interesting topic that kids would gravitate toward and also could teach some lessons we talk about all the time here. So um, uh, I don't want to crowd uh, Turbo yet, but, um, but I'll work up to that.
1: <laughs> well, great. We'll, we'll look forward to that. So, again, we'll have a, a link to the book in the, in the show notes here. Now entering cruise flight. Well, gosh, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, cruise flight. That's it for the announcements. Well, first, uh, we have a question. Oh, by the way, this is the the question and answer episode we talked about a little bit uh, before. And, you know, if you have a question, don't forget you can go to the website and click on contact or do contact at uh, stuckmikeavcast.com or contact any of us directly. And we would love to answer it uh, right here in the show notes. You know, go on Twitter, whatever you want to do. We get a lot of questions from Twitter and from the Facebook uh, page. I'm getting a little bit better about bringing those together. So wherever you want to ask a question, go for it. Uh, We may not get to it until the following episode, but we're definitely going to start following up. Anyway, let's let's start with the first question, and, and it actually stems from, so if you're looking at the show notes, it stems from an article I wrote uh, back from Expert Aviator back in 2011. It's called The Practical Guide to Operating Class C Airspace, Class Charlie Airspace, and uh, this comes from a comment at the bottom, and I, I get the gist of what the real question is here. Uh, he talks about uh, a conversation with the controller and a clearance from that controller. And, and I'll just read it real quickly. The controller says, you know, Cessna 123 November Uniform, squawk 2343, three, maintain 2000 on departure. And uh, then you as the pilot read back, Cessna 123 November Uniform, 2000, squawk 2342. Controller says, Cessna 123 November Uniform, read back correct, contact ground point 0.9 or 121.9 for taxi the question is this and this is something that's not very it's not definitively defined uh, anywhere but it is defined and that is read back correct read back correct this is something you will hear often when you're getting your ifr clearance now i hear this just about every day when i'm picking up an ifr clearance so normally a controller will say correct Uh, that is a term that's used and it's in the pilot controller glossary and have links to that but they will say correct but what they want to do to clarify what is correct is what it is you're doing that was correct and that was your read back so when you give them the clearance then or you read back the clearance they're gonna respond instead of just saying correct they're gonna say read back correct and they'll probably give you something else to do uh, just like we do in many different airports if you get a chance Go on, uh, gosh, liveatc.net and listen to Boston Clearance, and you'll hear that often. You'll hear the airliners calling up clearance and telling them, you know, this is uh, Delta 95 at gate 15, squawking 2452, Bosox 5 departure. And then the controllers say, read back correct, contact ground point 9, or monitor ground point 9. Then when they say monitor, don't say a word. So, what I want to do is ask uh, specifically uh, our first of all, our instructor Tom, as far as getting clearances, were in your experience, what have you heard when you've heard these clearances? Have you ever heard this term? Read back, correct.
4: Yes. Um, but we get those all the time. Uh, anytime that I pick up an IFR clearance at the airfield that I'm flying out of, that, that is the way that it, it, it'll go through that process. They'll read the clearance, I'll read back the clearance, and then they will confirm read back correct. Or if I've made a mistake, they will correct the mistake, make me repeat it again, and then let me know read back correct.
1: So that also goes into, that is correct. I mean, a lot of times they'll tell you that that is correct. Because if you ask the controller, did you mean for me to return right on uniform? And they'll say, that is correct. And that is a term that used in the glossary. It's interesting how, how words really are important. And this is a good example of that. You will hear this very, very often, is the read back correct when you're getting your squawk code. Uh, Larry, I know you, uh, you've been around some pat- uh, towered airports, et cetera. Have you heard this term?
3: Yes, absolutely. Whether VFR or IFR, um, sometimes you're, um, you know, certainly if you're picking up an IFR clearance, um, you'll hit it then when you're on the ground. Uh, you may hit it if you're picking up a clearance in the air. You may hit it just when you uh, transition uh, from one uh, controller to another and they give you a, a new squat code occasionally, uh, although not often, but anytime they want you to um, Confirm something, you know, that they've said, or you do confirm it just because that's the proper um, phraseology to confirm back what they've read to you. Uh, it's common to get rebet correct.
1: Interesting, and
3: and I try to get reback correct, not the other way around.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, that's when I noticed it, not directly, really, ever uh, with me, but for IFR stuff. You know, either with someone who I was flying with who was the pilot and uh, they were actually doing that, or I'll hear someone on frequency, you know, before I can get a word in edgewise. And I heard a couple of people have to repeat that several times. They just weren't, it wasn't right, and they had to do it, and they did it until they got it right.
1: Yeah, and it's important to get that readback correct in general. And that term, read back correct, is, is not uncommon. As you can tell, all of us here... Have talked about that, so it's uh, really really interesting. You know the read pack correct, and uh, it, it's really what, what's interesting is is another thing too. And one of the things that was picked up on, and I think Larry also said this too, is uh, what's what is what is wrong with my scenario here. I, I was going to mention this, but I think Larry's the one that's going to call me out on it. Go ahead, Larry. Did you uh, did you see what was wrong with the uh, the read back there? Yeah, the
3: uh, squat. <laughs> Code. In the example there, the squat code that was assigned is different from the squat code that was read back, but the controller didn't catch that and still said read back correct. So, and so we're all human. That can happen. And if you hear something that sounds wrong... Um, you, you want to call it out and, and double check it for sure.
1: Amen, amen. So that there, there was two things in there: the question mark about readback correct and the readback correct. And uh, so we went over both of those there. And yes, if if you get a readback and it is not the correct squawk code, uh, they they may not hear you, and you will then find out where possibly in the air. Uh, so the next thing that you probably will hear in the air is them. You know, say, you know, just confirm that you're squawking 2343 and you read back 2342. That's one of those instances where they'll go back to the tape and uh, and ask, you know, what did you do and why did and, you do that?
3: And that'll usually come right after they say contact departure.
1: Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, actually, you know, in a lot of airports, uh, they'll be able to see you on the ground and say, hey, you know, contact. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, you know, so that, that's another cool thing, so... Anyway, that was a great point out it's uh, interesting is uh, on my blog I mean I love people reading them and pe- pointing out these these little intricacies and also these uh, errors i'm glad they they caught that too but yes, read back correct very common even though it 's not defined but correct is defined um, anyway, I have some links by the way to uh, the pilot controller uh, glossary and also uh, the air traffic organization policy. And it talks about procedures and phraseology. And you can download that as a PDF. Some really cool stuff in there. And uh, if you know, really, you're having a problem going to sleep at night, I would pick that up and try to read it cover to cover. It will put you to sleep. But it's good to reference every so often and pick that apart. So anyway, thanks for that question. And thanks for the uh, pointing out that Reback was not correct. Um, anyway, moving on to the next question. Uh, it says here, and this one we're going to have to really you know, define and I want people to listen to and also Tom's gonna help me a lot a lot because he's in a very unique type of airspace. Uh, but anyway we'll we'll move forward here. It says if I got my squawk code and had my VFR flight following en route, my cruise altitude will be flying through class Charlie airspace. And the altitude was approved by approach. Am I clear to enter class C airspace or do I have to contact the tower of the Class C before I can enter, okay. as far as this question is concerned, I want I want Tom kind of take this over, but uh, I just want to clarify in the beginning of this uh, the cruise altitude assigned through Class C airspace by approach, I'm assuming you're talking about the approach to control in the Class Charlie airspace. Uh, so anyway, Tom, can you answer this one and is this person clear to actually go through Class Charlie Airspace?
4: So, yeah, I, um, as I was looking through this question, you know he's he's been talking to the controller. Most class Charlie airspaces are fed by a control somewhere, whether it's a a, a Bravo controller or whether it's a center controller, And somebody's um, sequencing uh, those aircraft into the class Charlie airspace. And um, normally, like where I live in the Florida area, you can look at the charts and and almost all of them, all the Charlie airspaces. If you look on a sectional there's usually uh you know the the charlie is denoted by um magenta solid rings and then outside of the magenta solid rings you'll find a uh, box that usually tells you to contact somebody um for sarasota for example um whether on the northeast side or the southwest side of that charlie airspace there's a box sure enough that's there and it says contact tampa approach within 20 nautical miles on 119.65 you and that way you get sequenced into or over that class Charlie airspace. Um, uh, the Charlie airspace is generally, uh, I know for a fact, Sarasota doesn't like you called calling them to to go land at Sarasota. Um, if you do, they might allow it once, but they will remind you please contact Tampa next time. They sequence in all of our traffic.
1: Interesting. Now, uh, speaking of Tampa. You, there's something that's really unique. You have, in Sarasota, you have Tampa Approach, right, that's controlling the Class Charlie airspace, but you also have a Bravo airspace that is also Tampa but, Approach.
4: Right, it's butt up against it. The, the, the Bravo airspace actually is um, right up against the Charlie airspace. They actually overlap each other, and, and the, the Bravo airspace actually has a notch cut out of it for the Charlie of Sarasota. Yet, Tampa is the one that sequences all the um, air traffic into that airport.
1: Well, I guess that would get really kind of confusing, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, uh, to some people when they're entering the, the area, it's like, well, who do I contact? And,
4: sure, it does. And, and if you move south from there, like, um, let's go down to Fort Myers. So you, now you're going further south in Florida and Fort Myers, you're talking Fort Myers approach to get into their Charlie airspace.
1: So, okay, so going back to this person's question... Uh, so let, let's just take his question as far as... Uh, let's look at Sarasota, so we're talking about it.
4: Yeah, well, so... And, and for this person's question, to, to, I said all that to get to the point of that he was already talking to the controller and had been cleared through that... He he would be cleared through that airspace at that time. In other words, if, if he was going through the Bravo airspace, the Bravo airspace, we got to hear the magic words, cleared into the Bravo. If you don't hear those magic words, you do not go... You're not cleared to fly into that airspace. The Charlie... Once you're in contact with the controller, now they're they're sequencing you through that airspace. He was given a squaw code, and, and, and he can he's he's going through that airspace at this time.
1: Okay, so let me ask you this: If you're leaving Sarasota, which is south of Tampa, and you want to fly up to uh, to say uh, PIE or, or Tampa International, and you take off, you are talking to that controller, probably Tampa Approach, but when would they give you your clearance into Bravo? When should you expect it? and will you will you always see hear that? You will obviously I, I should say yeah. You will always hear and, it.
4: and and if you don't, ask for it. Okay. I, I've had it before where a controller has has you know given me directions to go toward their Bravo airspace, and before I got there called to confirm and said, uh, by the way, uh, approach him, Mike cleared it and then he'll come back and oh, yeah, cleared into the bravo and and I want to hear those words. So that I have that clearance. This guy's asking specifically if, if he needs to contact the Class C tower. Right. If you were going to enter that or, or land at that Class C airspace, the controller at some point would tell you to contact that tower. If he does not and you're just flying through or transitioning through that airspace, you would stay in contact with the controller. You wouldn't change frequencies until he specifically told you to contact that tower.
1: Okay, so I don't know. Could you give us maybe an example? Say you're leaving St. Pete and you're going down to Sarasota. I mean, how would how would that progress?
4: Sure. Yeah, you're leaving out of St. Pete, and um, that's it. That's a, um, It's got its own uh, St. Pete Clearwater International Airport KPIE, Kilo Papa Eco. It um it, it's its own. It's a Class Delta that's underneath the Bravo of Tampa, so it's a unique airspace in itself. So departing out of there, you have to remain below the shelf of the Bravo till you get clear of it, and then you can get out. There's two ways to do it. If you're on the ground, you can ask the controller for a VFR flight following to Sarasota, and they will sequence you through Tampa and, and put you in contact with them. They'll give you a squat code and get you down there. If you want to do that on your own, then you have to go out, clear the airspace yourself, start heading down there, and then as you're approaching um, Sarasota, there is a mark on the sectional that tells you contact uh, Tampa approach within 20 nautical miles on 119.65. And you would do that. You would contact Tampa and you would tell them, I either want to transition or I want to go land at Sarasota.
1: Interesting. So let me ask you this. I'm sure you send students over to the East Coast. And, and by the way, if, if you're listening right now and you want to follow along what we're talking about, you can go to vfrmap.com is what I use. Uh, that's actually a pretty good resource. Um, I don't know if anybody uses anything else, but I, I really like looking at the VFR charts there. Um, but there's what's interesting is when you cross the state, there's, there's also... Let's talk more about Charlie Airspace and, and establishing two-way radio communication. To enter Charlie Airspace, you have to establish two-way radio communications. We know that. Uh, we probably should have reiterated that in the beginning. Uh, another thing that's interesting is that there are certain places like Sanford, Florida is a really good example of where the Charlie airspace normally is going to be defined and uh, they're going to have an, you know the rings, the inner, the outer, and you're going to have a altitude and that's going to be an MSL altitude in the in the rings. What's interesting is that the in the Sanford area there is a T. It has an altitude. It says 1300 on the bottom with a line, and then a T on the top. And what's interesting is that you get a lot of questions from people: "What is that?" And that is actually it's that is the Charlie airspace up to, but not including the overlying airspace. So if you look at the overlying airspace, uh, if you can get a chance, look at Sanford. We'll try to put in the show notes a link to it. You will see that the airspace is from 1300. Up to, but not including, the overlying airspace, and uh, in that area, I think it's uh, 3,000 feet. And let me go look at it real quick. Yeah, it's 3,000 feet in that area. So that T, I, I get a lot of questions about that. Is that that is actually up to, but not including, the overlying airspace. So in other words, you're up to 2,999 feet MSL, uh, but uh, but don't go 3,000 because that's Class. Bravo airspace. Uh, as far as uh, two-way radio communication, um, how do you know when you're, that communication is established? So, Tom, again, when when do we know when our communication's actually been established with uh, the controller that actually controls at Class Charlie airspace?
4: So, normally, what I teach my students is if that controller uses your tail number, you've established communication. And the examples I give is if you're approaching that uh, approaching an airspace, a Class Delta, a Class Charlie, and you contact the controller and the controller says, aircraft calling, please stand by. Now, he's talked to you, but you haven't established communication. He has not used your tail number. If he says, uh, Cessna 1234, please stand by, now he's used your tail number and you can continue on into his airspace. And that, that is the, the basically the line where you've established communication.
1: But what if they say... Cessna one two three four five, remain clear of Class Charlie airspace. Exactly, and they can give you
4: that direction, and then you are not authorized to enter that airspace. But he's he's come straight out and told you not to go into his airspace at this point. You don't have to make a decision. He told you what to do.
1: So he's giving you it, an instruction not to enter the airspace. Indeed. But you do. But you do have um,
3: uh, communications established. Right. So if he tells you not to enter the airspace. How? When? When are you free to uh, switch off his frequency and go somewhere else?
4: Well, it's you're you're not in his airspace, so you can switch off the frequency and go somewhere else as you, as you see fit to, uh, to safely co- uh, complete your flight. It, basically, what it comes down to, and and, and I'll give you an example. Of what's happened? We've we've um, our airport gets really busy sometimes with pattern traffic and commercial airliners coming in, and all of a sudden it just it's feast or famine. It'll stay quiet forever, and then all of a sudden it's just a mob. And um, and they'll do that. They'll have uh, planes that are coming in, and they want to get in the pattern. And they'll tell them, you know, stand by, or tell you what, you know, just stay clear of my airspace. Give me a call back in five minutes, you know. And they'll give them that option. And then that pilot has the choice to say, you know what, they're kind of busy. I think I'll go somewhere else. And and they don't have to change anything. They're they're on a VFR flight, and they can change the frequency, and they can they can go to another airport if they so choose.
1: So Tom, going back to what you said about the frequencies. Uh, they were in those boxes. That's something that's in, it's important to know. What color boxes? I guess uh, you're looking at the magenta boxes because that's the color of Class Bravo. Excuse me, correction. Class Charlie airspace, and and then you have cyan or blue, which is the Class Bravo airspace, right?
4: Correct. Okay. And um, they've they've associated those those uh, the the contact controller boxes. Um, with the magenta line to, to associate them with the Charlie Airspace.:
1: Gotcha. So you will know by looking at that you know, who you need to contact, because it, it can be confusing. and airspace, you know, just like Tampa, I love using Tampa as an example, not just because I, I fly around there. and I like using Orlando and Sanford because there's so many different types of airspace and, and uh, depictions that are on there uh, that are really, really interesting. Uh, so, so once again, look for the magenta, call them on that frequency. And then you want to call them within 20 nautical miles. So let's, let's back up a little bit here. Uh, we talked about these areas and I, we didn't really define them, but real quickly, uh, you have different circles that are around Charlie airspace and the different uh, that are normally defined within Charlie airspace. And the inner circle is usually from the surface out five nautical miles all the way up to 4,000 feet above the primary airport. That's normal dimensions. And uh, then there's, so that's the inner circle. Then there's the outer circle, which is from that 5 miles out to 10 nautical miles from that primary airport. And w- where that starts is usually at 1,200 feet above ground level to 4,000 feet above ground level from the primary airport. Uh, so you're going to see it from 1,200 to 4,000, kind of like an upside-down cake, and uh, or wedding cake, I guess you'd say, uh, but, not with, but just two layers. Uh, but there's this other thing that they talk about, uh and tom that 's not really depicted on the charts, is it for class charlie airspace? and that's what they call the outer area and uh where do you have you ever seen this or on on your charts and of course we haven't right tom so out no yeah, so, no i haven't yeah so outer outer area. Is not there. <laughs> it's but it, it's it's not on the charts, but it is there it's and uh that's from the ten to twenty nautical miles uh so when you're flying in and you're within that twenty nautical miles, you try to do it right before you get to that twenty miles or between ten and twenty. i mean, what what does it you teach your students to do?
4: Well, I mean, the direction itself that as you're approaching most class, Charlie's has that direction. Contact them within twenty nautical miles, right. so and 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 if you look, that's kind of where they put the boxes. I mean, if you put the if you do the measurements out from the Charlie, the the corner of that box is sitting on about that twenty nautical mile location,
1: right, right.
4: You know, so you you're kind of looking like, okay, I'm flying from this direction, and yeah, I'm coming across this box, and that's when you're supposed to be alerted. If I'm going going to that Class Charlie airspace, that's where I'm supposed to be paying attention to it.
1: Okay, good, good. Uh, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention also we we've been talking a lot about two way radio communication. Tom, is there anything else that we need uh, to actually enter Class Charlie airspace?
4: Well, I believe we need a transponder,
1: right? Okay, that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's <Yep>. definitely it. <laughs> so, yeah, uh,
4: and and so and that's the question that I pose to my students when I'm looking at this chart. It's like, okay, we're gonna fly um, over Sarasota. Turns out, we decided we're not even gonna talk to them. We're just gonna go ahead and it's a it's a class Charlie. It's four thousand feet tall. We're out over there. We're clear of the the Bravo. There's a whole bunch of uh, echo airspace that's out to the east of it, and we want to go out over the Gulf and we're going to go fly over the top of there. Now, do we need to have a transponder to fly over the Class Charlie? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. So, if if you need a transponder to fly in the Class Charlie, but you need a transponder to fly over the Class Charlie as well.
1: So, that begs the question what if I'm at 5,000 feet? What do I do? I have a transit. Do I have to talk to them?
4: You don't have to talk to them, but you have to have a transponder. And and if you're flying VFR, you should be squawking one, two, zero, zero.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's an important point.
3: Or Tom, you need what I have, a Piper J three Cub. <laughs> because any aircraft originally certificated without an electrical system is exempt from that requirement. Right. And and that's not so important for most of us, uh, except that we need to be aware that there may be aircraft flying around out there that that a t c cannot see, and so you know one of the other services that they offer is uh uh traffic alerts and so forth um there may be airplanes that they can't really see, and we need to still keep our heads outside of the cockpit
4: absolutely absolutely
1: and that yep. goes we're v f r
4: pilots and rule number one is do not hit anything
1: we're all v f r pilots <laughs> right. <laughs> I like, I like that example, though, Tom. Don't hit anything. Control the plane, don't hit anything. Two two good rules of thumb. Um, but anyway, as far as the Class Charlie airspace, uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people get confused on, too, is speeds. And I know we, well, some of us have faster airplanes out there. We normally aren't quite as concerned with this, unless you're flying something really slick. And I, I think, Tom, you, you've gotten to fly a few fast airplanes. You've been able to... Um, The airspeeds now, you actually have to slow down, don't you, Uh, when you're actually within the uh, airport, the primary airport in Class Charlie airspace. And we have to slow down to 200 uh, knots, and that's within uh, 5 statute miles or 4 nautical miles, and within 2,500 feet of the primary airport. Um, Interestingly, though, we can still... Uh, when we're flying through this airspace, we can still do our two hundred fifty knots below ten thousand. If we're flying in one of those really fast aircraft, uh, Tom, is that serious? You're flying? Does that go over two hundred knots?
4: If you got a good tailwind, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's it's, uh, it's
4: it's it's right around there. I think uh, I think I, I think I've gotten it over two hundred on a descent. But even still, the ground speed's still only you know one eighty.
1: And what's interesting is I, I kind of wanted to make a point by saying that. It's indicated airspeed. It's not ground speed. Uh, what's funny is I, I get every so often I'll be flying for work and someone will come up and say, we're well, going to report you to the FAA. You are doing 280 knots and you are in class Bravo airspace or you are in class Charlie or whatever they were saying. And I'd be like, well, that's true. Uh, but that was our ground speed, not, not our indicated airspeed. Uh, so that's important to know. It's, it's based on indicated airspeed and not ground speed. Uh, so there's a lot of, lot of different things in there as far as operating in Clash Charlie. We're not going to go over all of them, obviously. But uh, take a look at that article and pick it apart. I'd love to hear if you can find some other errors that I may have in there. Uh, I did not put that error in there on purpose. That is a actual error on my case. And I will correct the squawk code, by the way. And thanks for pointing that out. Um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, unless there's anything else you want to say about Clash Charlie, Tom, Larry, uh, uh, Rick, I think we've we've pretty much covered that person's question. Uh, so are you clear to enter the, the Class Charlie airspace? And But uh, yes, you are clear to enter the Class Charlie airspace. Uh, so that is because uh, you've already talked to them and you're cleared in uh, because you've actually established two-way radio communications. Uh, moving on to the third question. This one comes in from Twitter, and it says here, uh, I overheard on the podcast the filing and not opening. A VFR flight plan still gives them a place to start looking if you don't show up. How is that? Well, here's how that happens. Uh, remember, anything you ever do and everything, every interaction you have uh, with the government pretty much and the FAA is recorded. Uh, when you have an accident, an incident, one of the first things they're going to do is go back and see if you called flight service. They're also going to go back and see whether you actually logged on to, say, a DUATS account, and if you filed a flight plan, and if you've actually opened your flight plan, or if you actually got a briefing online, all those type of things. So how is that 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 happens? There's a paper trail. Well, I guess it's not paper anymore, is it? We're talking about new technologies. It's a digital trail, and they can go back and start looking. So, Carl, they
3: could certainly do that in retrospect. What I was curious about with this question is let's say, um, I am heading, you know, 500 mile cross country, whatever. And I don't tell anybody, you know, my wife, my friends, whatever. I just wander out to the airport say, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go flying. And I file a VFR flight plan from, you know, Madison, Wisconsin here to somewhere else. And, um, I never open it, but I do go get in the air and I fly along and I, you know, have an incident. Um, Let's just say I come down in a cornfield somewhere and I don't die. Mm -hmm. Um, But they will never come look for me because there's nothing to trigger that since I didn't open it. There's no um, uh, arrival time plus 30 minutes, you know, the whole thing that triggers the VFR search and rescue thing. So, what would be the triggering event for somebody to go look, uh, of all places, at the uh, uh, VFR flight plans? When my wife doesn't even know that I, you know, left the driveway.
1: It has to be some other person that actually triggers that event. Uh, if you're not, they're not going to come looking for you if you filed your flight plan and you never opened your flight plan. Uh, so if you actually have not opened it, you're if you're overdue and someone says, "Hey, I want to know where Larry is. I don't know where he is. Then that's going to trigger that. But otherwise, no, nothing's going to trigger that. Uh, So that is where they're going to start looking for you only because you are somebody that's been overdue, and uh, there was somebody filed a missing report. in 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 America, in general, we we tend to call start calling around when somebody goes missing, Uh, especially Larry, of course, because he's such an important person has a lot of family and." (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and has has a business et cetera. so somebody's going to miss you larry and we obviously would but it would take probably a couple oh, of weeks because you you wouldn't be on the podcast for two weeks but other no. than that the uh you're going to have people looking for you that would be the triggering event uh so as far as you know when not opening a flight plan and how would they be triggered that would be it if you don't show up so so maybe the moral of the story is that if you're
3: going to actually uh file a vfr flight plan and you do take the flight, you know, it's different if you decide not to make the flight after all, but if you actually make the flight, please do open it because that way somebody will automatically start to look for you.
1: Exactly. And it's not, uh, not that hard to do. Uh, but if you, uh, one of the things that's interesting is normally when people are out flying, uh, they're renting aircraft. A lot of people are renting aircraft. So they're going to They're going to ask, you know, hey, where's that airplane? Well, where did the person file towards? And that's where they're going to start looking. They're going to start asking, you know, hey, did they show up at that airport? They'll call the airport. Is that person there? Uh, But if you don't open your flight plan, it's going to have to be triggered. That search for you is going to have to be triggered by the flight school, by the person you're renting from, by your friends, your family, uh, by everybody or anybody who's concerned about you, if you don't open it, boy, you know, it's it could take a while for, uh, for someone to actually trigger that event. Uh, so that is a good point. Uh, and that is, that is I think, what we were trying to say on the last episode, so talking about not filing a VFR play, flight plan and how do they, you know, when do they start looking for you, and that's that's the point there. Uh, so, yes, Larry, please open it. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we talked about is how do you open the flight plan? It's it's not that tough to do. Uh, just, just go out there and, you know, contact. And flight service, say, hey, I'm going to open my flight plan. And you continue on. IFR is a little bit easier. Uh, the Actually, you know, you, you get your clearance yes. and, and move forward from there. What would you say, Larry? Uh,
3: just yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whenever I fly anywhere that's a distance, I always fly IFR, even on a beautiful clear blue day, because it's just easier.
1: Well, and that was the other point I wanted to make, and I'm glad you brought that out, Larry, is when I'm flying... In any aircraft that's IFR equipped, you know, certified, current, et cetera, and I'm current, I will actually file a flight plan, and I will open that, and I will get the clearance. And I'll get it in the air a lot of times in busy airspace, but I, w- I will have flight following automatically because I'm on an IFR flight plan. Uh, I can actually maintain VFR uh, in, in an IFR flight plan. We do that quite often. You know, airport and sight, okay, clear for the visual approach, but I'm still... ...on an IFR flight plan. That's a, that's a whole topic for... Uh, ...and I, we would definitely get into that in a whole nother episode... ...is talking about filing flight plans and flying IFR... ...and, you know, when should you close that, that flight plan... ...or excuse me, when, if you should open it up... ...if you just, just file it and, and go, just like you do with your VFR flight plan... If, ...if anything and you don't do anything, you don't open it... ...please do file it, you know, in general. Uh, so, again, going back to the point... Please file a flight plan no matter what. Even if you're not going to open it, file it. Because when people notice you're not home for dinner, they're going to start calling around. And one of the things they're going to do is look up the record and and try to find you. Um, And by the way, definitely close your flight plan. If you are on an IFR or VFR, it is quite embarrassing when they call you on the (laughs) phone saying, Hey, uh, where are you? (laughs) I'm sitting in the hotel. Oh, uh, you know where they're looking for you? And uh, it's usually the the state police or local police that start looking for you. But uh, anyway, uh, thanks for that question. Uh, that was really good. I appreciate it. Uh, and it is a good paper trail to have, or, or I should say a digital trail. Our next question comes in, uh, and this is our last question. Uh, talks about, I talked about in the last episode, a Home and Garden TV episode where at Tavern Arrow in the Florida Keys, uh, this person called and said, hey, listen, I can't find... The actual video that's associated with that. And uh, man, I tell you what, that was really, really cool. What I did is I changed the links in the show notes, and it actually does link to the Amazon, and also, because that's, or was it Amazon? Yeah, Amazon, where I watched it, but I also linked to it on the Home and Garden channel. HDTV channel I put that link in there so you'll be able to go out there and take a look at that that was really cool for those of you who didn't hear it uh, there was a really neat like uh, home and garden TV I love that channel and uh, they talked about moving uh, to the Keys and there was actually an airport home that they were looking at and one of them was a pilot so it was really neat to to see them go and discover that so uh, definitely check that out um, so, thanks again for that question. Any other questions uh, from our listeners? Please write in. We love answering them. Uh, we we'll, We'd like to hear you know your feedback. What you want us to talk about? Hopefully, what we've done here with this episode is we've you know enabled you to learn a little something. And and also, you know, get excited about flying. I mean, there's some really, really cool stuff happening here, especially, like we said, with the drone pilots. And, uh, and hey, maybe we'll start doing some, I mentioned the scholarships guy, maybe we'll start putting drone scholarships in there. Uh, but really neat stuff happening with the drones, and we'll hopefully have that person uh, on the uh, episode that's actually in the... Uh, uh, the drone, I forget what her name is at the AOPA. Sorry for forgetting the name, but there's somebody in charge of, of the drones at the AOPA, and uh, she's just a really, I uh, think her name is Kat, if I remember correctly, and she's uh, just absolutely terrific. Real great resource at AOPA. Uh, I'll remember the last name later. But anyway, uh, that's it for our discussion. We actually will move on now to our picks of the week. Our
0: picks of the week. <laughs>
1: Uh, picks of the week, again, are our suggestions of items that uh, and products and links to websites of things that really, really interest us. Uh, I'll go ahead with the first one. And it's actually, it was stemmed from a a local report uh, from a TV news channel. And uh, that is the Collings Foundation. Specifically, the Wings of Freedom Flight Experiences at the Collings Foundation. Uh, basically, Collings is, is is a it's like a living history museum. They restore aircraft, automobiles, military vehicles. But uh, the portion obviously that we love are those aircraft, and you can actually fly in a B-17 and a, like, I think that a B-17, B-24, and a B-25. I think they now also have P-51s uh, that y- you can go up. And I know they have P-51s, uh, but just there are some really neat experiences that are out there. Be part of <coughs> history. Uh, fly in, in, uh, in this historic aircraft but by doing that and by donating to that uh, experience you will actually help these aircraft keep flying and absolutely wonderful people that fly those and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in our, our uh, video of the week but that's my pick of the week it's the Collings Foundation I have a couple friends that have flown for them wonderful foundation I love what they're doing and keeping history alive Living History Museum. So that's my pick of the week. CollingsFoundation.org slash flight experiences.
2: All right. Next we have uh, Rick. Rick, uh, what is your pick of the week? Yeah. Yeah, my pick of the week. I stumbled upon a book uh, that I'm sort of now starting, so I I haven't finished it or or, so I can't give you a complete review but it's called dreams of flight general aviation in the united states and it's not a new book it's um it was sort of in the early 2000s is when it was written but it's it's a summary of kind of the history of general aviation um specifically powered flight they don't they, they they definitely disclaim a lot of the things they, that that is that are not in the book because uh, they they had to limit the scope. But um in terms of power flight, it's just a it's it it so far seems to be a very, very interesting history of general aviation specifically um, and how we got from, you know the beginning to kind of to where we where we are now in a way, the period uh, after two thousand when you know, and this sort of more modern history, with the challenges of keeping, you know, get the pilot population, uh, you know, declining and things like that, um, are are in there as well. So, um, I, I think it's it's a, I think it's a really cool book, and there's some things in it that I did not know. And uh, so, if you're looking for, you know, another kind of summary of, of what general aviation is all about, uh, it seems like a pretty good book. Dreams of Flight, and there's um, there's Kindle, Kindle, Audible, and uh, and uh, hardcover books versions, and uh, that's it.
1: Cool. Well, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. That sounds really interesting. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Rick. Mm-hmm. Um, next uh, pick of the week is from Larry. Larry, what is your pick of the week? Hey,
3: uh, in honor of the first question that we had tonight, I thought it would be fun <laughs> to talk about a book that I picked up uh probably 10 years ago, I picked up the third edition, uh, sorry, the fourth edition, and I think it's on the fifth now, but it's called Say Again, Please, The Guide to Radio Communications by Bob Gardner. Uh, It's an ASA publication, and it's organized surprisingly, much like we talked about tonight, by airspace class. So there are sections around Class G, Class E, Class D, Class C, uh, and so forth, and um, it, it was a good... A uh, reminder for me to as i was getting back into aviation after a hiatus of you know 20 years almost um on what phraseology should sound like and so uh they have different versions of it and there's you know ifr and vfr and some uh, dvds i think that have the audio um but i would encourage people to check it out on amazon say again please by bob G- bob gardner uh an asa publication and um it answers all kinds of communications questions.
1: Well, thanks, uh, thanks for that pick of the week, uh, Larry. Moving on to our next pick of the week, and that will be Tom. Our next pick of the week. What is your pick of the week, Tom?
4: Yeah, so I was. We were talking about flight plans earlier, so I, I picked Flight Plan Go as my pick of the week, and and specifically Flight Plan Go is the app for um, the flight plan um, website. Um, and i'm looking for it here so flightplan.com and then um you can pick up Flightplan go and, and and it's an app that goes as a companion to that website um and you can get it on apple on android or on windows and I'll, prov- I'll provide links for all three of those um you know there's just so much great information that you can get out of this for flying filing a flight plan getting weather getting um any information you need as far as your flight, all the way down to um, you know, airports and FBOs and fuel prices and things like that. And, and they've, they've really made it easy to put things in there. And they also offer um, aircraft tracking you know, as well. So a um, lot of really good resources just on the one website, kind of all compiled together. And I go back to there often. So as we were talking about flight plans tonight, that kind of popped into my mind as a resource that I use and thought it would make a good pick of the week.
1: Well, awesome flight plan go and that'll make it easy for you to file those flight plans too. So we have uh it was well, a- Apple, Android and also on Windows so we have all those there and we'll have a link to the uh, to the website there. So really really cool. Also uh as far as our uh we were, we started doing this video of the week and if you get a chance go to the bottom of the show notes This is probably one of my favorite videos that was sent to me uh, by a local reporter. And and if uh, you've seen some of my interviews on on the local Fox channel, is is done by one of the reporters or both of the reporters that have interviewed me. This video is awesome. About a a gentleman who's 96 years old who actually gets to fly in a P-51 Mustang. And it is so neat to watch the report. But the coolest thing about it is watching him go out there and fly a loop and a roll, and he does this amazing job. Here he is, 96 years old, and I guess some things you never forget. He remembers flying that in the war, and sure enough, uh, Brian Norris, who's the pilot, a uh, really great uh, aerobatic pilot, is out there flying it uh, for the Collins Foundation and uh, takes this gentleman up and flies him around, and it's a, what amazes me as I'm watching it, it seems like he was transformed into that young picture of himself as a pilot in World War II. And you could just see him, instead of looking at him now in, a, in his uh, different stage of life, he just became that young man flying again and it just it, it'll it just was so inspi- inspirational and i think one of the messages in the video is very important is is to to make people remember uh, what has happened in our past and with our history and uh, with our flying and actually in world war ii great great tribute and uh, brian norris also great great person we'll actually hopefully have him on sometime the after landing checklist the video of the week if you have suggestions of course you can send us an email as far as a video of the week also questions like we did for this episode uh you can send them in to us and on our website on facebook page uh email twitter uh, tweet to any of us ask us a question ask for clarification we'd love to hear from you contact at stuckmikeavcast.com well folks uh we do appreciate your listening and we love your questions Uh, We have another episode that's coming up that's going to be really exciting, some great interviews and some great new topics, and we're going to continue to learn every time we talk to you. And uh, we're going to continue to share those things that we've learned during our flights. Well, folks, uh, safe flying. We'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck
0: Mike Abcast.